welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, former chronic illness sufferer turned trusted health practitioner. My passion is helping people to identify and address the root causes of their symptoms through my online business, Viva Natural Health. If you're struggling with confusing or stubborn symptoms that just won't go away despite your best efforts, then you're in the right place. If I can heal from a long list of symptoms and conditions, including cystic acne, hair loss, severe food reactions, and brain fog, then you can heal too. Stay tuned for weekly episodes that share expert guest interviews, Q&A, and solo episodes that are all intended to help you wherever you're at on your healing journey. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only, and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. I interviewed today's guest, Magdalena Salaki, back in March 2021, when her book, Overcoming Estrogen Dominance, came out. And in that episode, we covered the basics of estrogen dominance. So if you haven't heard that one, it's linked in the episode show notes. And that's where Magdalena covers her her own health journey, how she got into women's health, the signs of estrogen dominance, how it's connected to things like the gut, her overview on nutrition. So it's really a general introduction because in this episode, we're going to go a little bit deeper on a related subject, but more on the um, more complex subject of breast health. And this includes things like breast cancer, um, fibrocystic breasts, tender breasts, Uh, breasts that grow a cup size or three before the period or you might have issues with breast nodules and cysts so yeah a more in-depth episode still related and at the start of the episode I asked Magdalena to just give us a recap but if you want to learn a little bit more about her journey and how she got into it then episode number one is where that is at but just to recap a little bit more about Magdalena she is the founder of Hormones Balance Community and the Willena Products Supplements made by women for women. Her online platform and products are dedicated to helping women balance hormones naturally. And she is a published author of Cooking for Hormone Balance and Overcoming Estrogen Dominance. She is an endocrine nutrition expert, certified herbalist, speaker, educator, published author with a long history of her own hormonal challenges, including Graves, Hashimoto's, which are both thyroid autoimmune diseases, and estrogen dominance. She is now fully in remission and she is sailing through perimenopause and continues teaching women how to accomplish the same. So in this episode, we're going to cover the three different hormones or factors that influence breast health, more on lymphatic health, which I think is a huge factor in not only conditions related to the breast, but so many things like chronic fatigue, brain fog, weight loss. So I'm excited to have her show more about that because it's a condition that I'm really interested in. And there's going to be a more in-depth episode um, coming up if it's not already out with Chloe, Chloe Stickings. She shares more about that because she specializes in that area. And Magdalena walks us through a breast massage technique, which helps to move the lymphatic system. And it could also be used to check breasts as well. So you could do like a two-in-one benefit on a regular basis check for lumps and bumps, but also support the detoxification of any stagnancy in that area and just keep the lymphatic and blood flow nice and healthy in that area because imbalances can be linked to the development of things like breast cancer, unfortunately. 
We discuss things like the role of iodine, uh, specific nutrients and herbs that can be used, uh, whether she thinks that caffeine and alcohol can be consumed in moderation or if they should be completely avoided. The difference between mammograms and thermographs and her thoughts on that, her thoughts on bras, like many different things. And I think this is a really important conversation that we had today. So I'm excited for you to have a listen and yeah, check out Magdalena and all of her products. Her Happy Sisters kit, which we discussed in the episode, is only available for purchase in the US at the moment, but she gave, gives you many different tips and things that you can implement if you're outside of the, the US. And you could almost like make your own and choose brands that are similar products or see a herbalist and ask for specific things as well in terms of breast creams, um, oils, infused oils, tinctures. There's so many things that we can do because things like breast cancer, hormone-dependent cancers and estrogen dominance are on the rise, unfortunately, because of how sick we are as a population. And there's so many factors that go into it. Diet, stress, genetics is only one part of the puzzle, but Magdalena is an example of that. She, on paper, says herself that she has the worst genetics ever, but she is going to be hopefully um, one of the first in her family in the maternal line to avoid some sort of hormone dependent cancer because there's a strong family history there so if she was to just follow the mainstream narrative she could have had some sort of preventative surgery um, which doesn't prevent it necessarily it just kind of prevents a breast cancer if you have your breast removed with a mastectomy but that inflammation and cause of cancer can manifest as another condition unfortunately so yeah really important conversation and just a reminder to check your breasts regularly and take care of yourself and hopefully this inspires you to know that you're you have so much control over what you're doing and even if you have a strong family history of some of these conditions it's not a death sentence and we want to be proactive with all of this and not just wait until something bad happens but that said let's get into the episode hi magdalena welcome back to the podcast for a part two Thank you so much for having me. And I, I'm going to link to the part one in the episode show notes, and I would highly recommend watching that back because we cover really the basics of estrogen or estrogen dominance. I'm going to be using those terms interchangeably because we've got a US and a, a UK practitioner on the call now. But um, just as an overview, Magda, for those who might have missed it or just want another like recap, what exactly is estrogen dominance and the subject that we're going to be covering today is breast health. Like, why is estrogen important for that? Yeah, um, I'm so glad that you're starting with symptoms because then we can just really show women that um, almost every woman at some point in her life experiences some level of estrogen dominance, you know, whether she realizes that or not. And it is so common, I will say that 70% of women have it uh, to different degrees. Uh, and then because it is so common, we kind of ac accept it as being normal. Um, and uh, and it's not necessarily normal. And we can talk about that in a second. So what are the symptoms? The big things is like when you're solo menstruating woman, you know, having this terrible PMS is that we just accept that it's such a big part of being a woman, right? It doesn't really have to be. I mean, there's obviously going to be a change how we feel throughout this, our cycle, but going ballistic, having to take two different painkillers and, you know, and being um, antisocial and being biting people's heads off is optional. That's That doesn't have to be that way. Um, terrible mood swings that of course go with a lot of times with cycles and with estrogen dominance, you know, a lot of changes around breasts that we're going to talk a little bit more today. Lumps, fibrocystic breasts, cysts on the breasts, 
fibroids, um, women who have a history of thyroid nodules, um, women who have fibroids, um, endometriosis. There is an autoimmune component to endometriosis as well, but we certainly know that estrogen dominance makes endometriosis even worse. Um, and that's one of the most painful conditions that a menstruating woman can still experience. Um, and then you have, you know, other things like um, how we look. So, for example, women who have a lot of fat around their um, story, a lot of fat, fat and satellite around their hips and butts and thighs and can't lose that weight no matter how much they exercise. It's very it's typical of an estrogenic woman. Um, I tend to be very estrogenic. If I put on weight, it all goes down there. I'm a typical pair. That's where I will put on weight. Um, you know, varicose veins, um, it could be another one, hair loss other than a thyroid condition, right? Um, you know, it can be due to estrogen dominance. Um, women with miscarriages in the first trimester, um, not to mention infertility can be a big contributing factor. Women who are then going into perimenopause and menopause, you think like, well, estrogen dominance can't happen because our estrogen is going down. That is, can't be further from truth. And in fact, um, most women who have estrogenic cancers due to estrogen dominance are in that group. You know, the 45 to 65 is the highest number of women with breast cancers, right? Which is estrogenic cancers. So that is not necessarily true. Your estrogen can drop, but you can still be estrogen dominant. How can that manifest? Well, a lot of women start having anxiety, which they had never experienced before. Have, start having sleeping problems, you know, they can't fall asleep or they wake up at two, three o'clock in the morning and there's just no way of going back to sleep. They start having um, hot flashes and night sweats, right? So, you know, you tell me um, who here um, doesn't doesn't have <laughs> Everyone's that. Everyone's like nodding what, along the while they're listening. They're like, yeah, right? that sounds like me. <laughs> Um, and one other thing I want to mention uh, is that gallbladder issues in women can be caused by estrogen dominance and thickening of the bile and and gallstones uh, can be largely due to estrogen dominance. Of course, it can also be due to very poor diet and the overall poor liver function. Uh, but estrogen dominance can, can contribute. It, it works the other way around is that the bile... Because because the bile has such a big role in emulsifying um, fats, but also binding up dirty estrogens and evacuating them. Women who lost their gallbladder, at, oftentimes, when I say it, because they don't, a lot of times women don't make a connection, but when I say it, that six months later, one year later, after having a gallbladder removed, estrogen dominance starts showing up. They go, oh my God, I never realized that, but that's very true. And so, so there is definitely that. And and one more other thing I'll mention in that is estrogen dominance can also be present in men. So if your guy has men boobs, not only is it not sexy, but it's actually estrogenic. And then number two is prostate problems, including just the swelling of the prostate as well as prostate cancer are um, estrogenic. Speaking of cancers, you know, the most, let's say, severe and advanced form of estrogen dominance when meaning when estrogen dominance is present for a long time, the body is not metabolizing and excreting these dirty estrogens properly. There is a lot of accumulation combined with DNA damage. That's when we see um, cases of estrogen, uh, estrogenic um, cancers or estrogen receptor positive cancers. And so those would be breast cancer, ovarian cancer, uterine cancer, um, thyroid cancer, interestingly, and also lung cancer in non-smokers, right? So quite um quite a large uh broad spectrum of of cancers um really? and prostate cancers in in men yeah. yeah and just to recap on some of the causes like why is all of this happening 
Um, so I know a big one that you mentioned was stress because um, of how that affects our progesterone. So the, the thing with estrogen dominance is either that you've got really high levels of estrogen or it's that your progesterone in comparison to estrogen is is too low. And stress is one of the biggest things to impact progesterone. But what are some of the other reasons that we're more estrogen dominant as a society? Yeah. So, um, so that's very true. Estrogen to progesterone ratio, they have to be, even they have to be like two nice dancing partners. Nobody can be, can be dominant. Um, so correcting progesterone. So stress is one thing, just, you know, simple, uh, act of aging can, can contribute towards that. But the other form of estrogen dominance is when the body breaks down estrogens in an unfavorable way. Um, and so, and that happens. So, you know, so think of it this way, like you're standing in front of a river, this river is flowing. There is a bank in the middle of the river and this river is kind of murky, but as it goes through the bank, it separates into two streams, one clean stream and then one dirty stream. So I like to call it the clean estrogens and dirty estrogens. Now, let, let me just pause here for a second and say, let's not demonize estrogen as such. The term estrogen dominance is helpful because it has given a label to a lot of symptoms that are, you know, plague, plaguing a lot of women. However, it is also important to understand that we need estrogen as women to even function, right? For our mental cognitive functions, for our bone health, for skin, for our, for our you know, moist vaginas, right? And, you know, so all of that, for all of that, we need for good quality sleep. We need estrogen for that. It's just how we break down those estrogens is is a big deal. And guess what? The organ that breaks down estrogens is our liver. And as we age, the liver is like a sieve, right? That is just a lot of things is just going through it. You know, like if you're making a bone broth or a vegetable broth and you're like, you've got that sieve, right? Like you're going to like once in a while, like clear mm -hmm. out and, you know, and, and so when you don't do that, you don't take care of your liver on that. It, and it doesn't have to be like a detox, like going deep and starving yourself for two weeks. You know, it can be, it can be, I'm actually a bigger fan of doing consistent work on the liver throughout and often and on a daily basis, rather than be doing these severe fast and then going back Juice to cleanses and um, stuff like that. Exactly. Like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and then after that, I'm going to go back to eating bagels and cookies and all that stuff. Right. So, yeah. So um, the, 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 the liver is, you know, it's, it's just the most important organ when it comes to metabolizing those, those estrogens. And if we take care of that, just a lot of magical things can happen. And we want to focus on like adding things in rather than taking things away. Cause I feel like, I don't know if it's just my clients or just as a general theme, people are like, what can I remove now? Which food group can I remove or which things can I get rid of? And I'm like, why don't we add some things in? Even something as simple as adding in a herbal tea um, rather than just yeah. cutting out all hot drinks from your diet. Why not swap or adding an extra herbal tea that can support your liver? And I'm Absolutely. also in agreement that we want to do this on a regular basis because, yes, the liver can detox on its own, but with the sheer amount of toxins and pollutants and stress and deficiencies we're exposed to, like it just can't keep up with the amount of toxins that's coming through. Absolutely. So, you know, speaking of herbal tea, I mean, having, you know, something as simple and uh, at a lot of health food stores and now selling teas that are like liver detox teas and stuff, right? And if you look at the ingredients that typically will contain things like brutal root, dandelion root, um, you know, artichoke leaf. Um, I mean, those are some of the classical, you know, herbs. If somebody can, um, you know, is, it has the, um, 
you know, likeliness or, or propensity to trying something new, like having digestive bitters before a meal. That's a really great idea. That's a stronger, you know, that's, so if you think about like, historically speaking, right, that just digestive bitters have been present actually in our history for a very long time. And almost every cuisine has some, an element of bitter. And a lot of times it's consumed prior to like the main meal arriving. So like, you know, even if you look at something fancy like Campari in, in North Italy, right? Um, there's a lot of different digestive bitters in all around, like in Sweden, in Germany, in Poland, in Russia, you know, and 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 they're often consumed either before and after a meal. And the reason why we do that is because the minute your body um, recognizes something bitter in the mouth, it immediately starts a cascade of enzymatic production. So you produce more saliva. I'm actually salivating, um, salivating even more right now, even talking about it, because that's like, you know, your mind, kind of starts thinking about it but it's good because that's when you have you know the enzyme amylase right in the and that's what's going to break down your carbohydrates and then you know and then goes to the pancreas and and then the large intestine and a small intestine to produce more enzymes and so the digestive bitters really start the whole process of preparing the body for better digestion so really having a squirt of digestive bitters you know before a meal um i actually have them in on, you know, in my house, I have them on the on the dining table, so I don't I don't forget them. But if I'm going out, I have them in my handbag, and it's actually a really cool thing, like passing it around to friends mm-hmm. and squirting it uh, in. One other thing you mentioned about you know adding, and I like that idea a lot because um, taking things out can feel very depriving and limiting. And so you know we want to approach this more from a place of abundance than what else can I add to nurture my body rather than you know punish myself from removing. Um, so, you know, one thing I will say is incorporate as many cruciferous vegetables as you can in your daily diet. So, um, you know, it's, it, I know it's going to sound pretty, uh, like a lot of people are not going to like it, but I'll say remove the goddamn lettuce from your diet, Mm -hmm. you know, and incorporate and switch instead to something like mustard greens or arugula, not spinach. Spinach is not a cruciferous vegetable. And in fact, it's very high in oxalate. So I'm actually not a fan of spinach at all. Um, but, you know, um, and then bring in things like cabbages and um, radishes and turnips and collard greens and kale. I'm sure here people who are from Scotland will be saying like, kale, we give kale <laughs> to the pigs. Yeah, yeah exactly. And lettuce, <laughs> I agree. It's just like hardly any nutrition in there. You really want to get the the cruciferous stuff for all of the sulfur and the Absolutely. goodness and the liver detox benefits. Lettuce is just kind of like a filler. <sighs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, just, just be more mindful, like throw away the zucchini. It's just a whole bunch of water. Uh, I mean, if you look at the least nutritional density of vegetables, right, it will be like your lettuce and zucchini is going to be the, the lowest, um, the lowest on that on the value chain right cauliflower uh you know broccoli right broccoli sprouts actually broccoli sprouts are pretty amazing broccoli sprouts specifically contain a substance called sulforaphane and they are only found in broccoli sprouts they are not found in um other sprouts and you have between 20 to 200 times more sulforaphane in broccoli sprouts as compared to grown broccoli depending on the variety and um you know and guess what sulforaphane is one of the magical substances that helps to um, clean estrogen, right? Metabolize estrogen in the liver, but not just that, as, uh, sulforaphane has also been, there's a number of studies that show the sulforaphane also, it kills 
stem cells of a cancer cells. So just imagine that, right? It's just like that little thing, the substance just goes and kills the stem cells of a cancer, which is pretty, pretty much like the core of the cancer cells. So it's pretty amazing stuff. Um, yeah, so I mean, those that, are Yeah, it's a really like a handful, because the serving size for broccoli sprouts is quite small. So you can literally just put a handful on the meal that you're already going to eat. You can grow your own. Um, if you're yes. a green thumb, they're pretty easy to do. I even managed it at one point. Um, and I think people have really been focusing on those lettuce and courgettes and cucumbers, this, their um, vegetable choice, because they're lower in calories and they, they fill you up. Um, and maybe they don't make you as gassy as the other ones. But if you're getting gassy and bloated and have a lot of pain from eating something like broccoli or cauliflower, it's probably a sign that your gut is imbalanced. And I agree yeah. with your recommendation on digestive bitters. That is just like a, a staple supplement that I would happily like recommend to anyone and everyone um, because everyone could benefit from it. Um, but people might have been thinking when you were talking about that, like gut health, like what is the connection there? Like my issue is breast. Or I'm listening to this podcast for breast pain or fibrocystic mm -hmm. breast. Like why did you bring up the gut in all of that? I know why, yeah, but can you okay. tell everyone else? Right. Yeah, sure. Well, so I mean, just on like on a bigger, on a higher, you know, higher level, um, let's just start off by saying, do you know anyone who's got a messy or digestive issues who is actually a healthy person? And the answer is most likely no, you know, and so typically when somebody has got gut issues, meaning you're often bloated, constipated, you've got acid reflux, um, you've got diarrhea, constipation or alternating between those two, right? you're not eliminating properly. Um, those are all signs that the digestion is struggling. So, I mean, that's, you know, resolving that is probably going to resolve a lot of other symptoms in your life, period. But how is that connected to hormones? Well, in many different ways, um, I would just mention maybe two. One is the fact that um, there is a subset of bacteria in the gut called the estrobolum. And the estrobolum are bacteria, or, uh, yeah, bacteria that are, they're coding for enzymes that break down estrogen. So basically, when you have a healthy gut, you're breaking down estrogens even more favorably. And, um, you know, there are studies that show that women with breast cancer, for example, their digestive health, especially their microflora variety, is far more limited as compared to women who don't have breast cancer, who have a lot more variety of bacteria in the gut. So when we talk about digestive health is, you know, not just getting rid of all the bloating and digestive issues, but it's also... Um, well, I mean, to, to get there is basically, you know, I'm a big fan of doing the elimination diet and really removing all these inflammatory foods, but also adding a lot of foods that are really complementary to that. And, um, you know, I'm sure you've covered a lot of that. There's a lot of books that talk about that. Um, the other thing is, you know, with when it comes to digestion is when the body is struggling to digest food in general, right? Um, you know, you're seeing things like particles in the poop and you got gassy a lot of the time, you know, may not realize that because those, we don't have nerve endings in our digestive uh, tracts, the small and large intestine, but um, it is, that's why a lot of people don't realize that, but the body is actually really struggling. And the more it's struggling with digestive health, the more inflammation it's creating. Well, guess what? Inflammation then in fact, the um, receptors, if, hormone receptors in the body. So even though you might have, you know, every cell in the body has receptors for different hormones. So like, for example, your hair, you know, cuticles would have receptors for estrogen, for thyroid hormone, right? Your ovaries would have receptors for estrogen, testosterone, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
breast, for example, right, is a big, you know, got back receptors for estrogen, progesterone, iodine. Well, guess what? When the body is inflamed, then these receptors are not as open. They're like receptors like this open door, right, that invites the substances in. And when you're inflamed, these receptors then shut down and they are not working as effectively. So, you know, every good reason to, and I can just go on for, give you 10 other reasons why digestive health is going to change your life. Uh, But let's just, you know, staying with hormones, those are the two big ones. Yeah, I think there's like, it's probably easier to list the things that the gut isn't beneficial for. Like, I I can't even think of anything. So yeah, the gut is like the center of your body, like the center of your health and definitely a foundational piece if you want healthy hormones a lot of the time you need to work on your gut even if your symptoms aren't digestive based your inflammation could be coming out in premenstrual syndrome acne on your face fatigue joint pain those types of issues yeah absolutely and it would be like you know people people heal their digestion and they go like oh my god i'm sleeping so much better i've lost weight finally right you know my, Mm -hmm. my my weight is actually moving down after 20 years of dieting, you know, all sorts, right? And so, yeah, I mean, the uh, mental functions improve, depression can can lift. I mean, just like the number of benefits are just so incredible. Without even a direct focus on those conditions. So in terms of our conversation today on breast health, um, a lot of my audience is premenopausal. So um, like before menopause, like in the fertile years, should these women be having any symptoms breast wise at all like is it normal to have some degree of breast tenderness or should we not really notice anything with lumps and bumps pains cysts anything like that yeah okay so um so the answer is really the severity of things right um there is there is um there's two types of breast challenges one is cyclical and non-cyclical cyclical is as the name implies it goes with your cycle and typically that starts happening from right after ovulation until your next period, right? That's like the time of a lot of tenderness. Now, you know, the question is like, do I touch my breasts and I've got I've got like a little bit of tenderness? That's fairly acceptable. Or is it to the point where a woman would have to say wearing a cup will suddenly have to change to C cup during the two weeks because her breasts are so swollen, right? There's a degree of difference there. Are my breasts so tender and sensitive that I can't even touch them? I don't want to be intimate. You know, I can't put on a bra because it hurts so badly, right? I mean, that's not okay. Um, Now, finding a lump or a cyst, you know, can be an incredibly emotional um, moment for a woman, especially the first times that this happens, right? It's like, you know, it's, it's, um, I mean, I equate it to... You know, like when we had, um, like when 9-11 happened in the world, right? I mean, like almost everybody knew, remembers where they were when that happened, when they heard the news, right? Or Princess Diana died or whatever. And so like, I still remember the very first moment when I found my breast lump, my first breast lump, you know, and and the the amount of um, shame that comes with it. I was like, oh, it's all that smoking and putting that I did in college, right? And like, I should have taken care of myself. And then the whole dilemma of how do you get it diagnosed? Do you go do a thermogram or mammogram? You know, and then if you go the mammogram route, they make it sound like you're going to die tomorrow if you don't get it done, like, you know, ASAP and et cetera, et cetera. So there's, so there's a lot um, to it. And I I'm of the opinion that just you know conventional medicine looks at it as um well you know wait and see right so come back in three to six months time and let's see what happens um i don't you know and and if it's has 
if the breast lump has certain characteristics, they might do a uh, want to do either biopsy, right, or send you for a mammogram. Um, and so I think it's all very personal how you want to use this and how, well, how you want to get this diagnosed. However, you know, I always look at it as um, dealing with something at that moment, but it's also like I always ask myself a question and I encourage, you know, everyone, every woman to ask that question, what do I need to do not to ever deal with this again, right? And, you know, that that I can really prevent and never find another lump, another another cyst on my breast. Like, so I don't deal with that horrendous pain. And I think that's, you know, that's really what I've dedicated most of my professional life to, is to addressing the root cause of breast, of, the, of breast changes, right? And all the breast changes we are talking about here is are typically... Um, caused by three major things. The first one is estrogen dominance we, we've been talking about here. You know, think of it this way, like especially the swelling of the breast, for example, right? Is that estrogen is a little bit like, if you lose, use the analogy of a grass, uh, you know, in your yard, is estrogen helps to, to grow the grass. Progesterone comes in and it's like a mower, right? Just like cuts the, the grass down. So when you have an imbalance of estrogen, progesterone, you're just gonna go grow, 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 grow. Um, you have you might have a lot of water retention, taking off rings of or putting on shoes might be difficult, right? And so, and it also can manifest in the breast. So we want to address that, um, you know, as early as possible, because like what I mentioned, an existing, an ongoing estrogen dominance, and especially combined with family history of estrogen dominance um, issues and challenges can eventually lead to something more serious like cancers. That's part of my calling. What I do is because, you know, I have um I have terrible genes. I'm a terrible estrogen metabolizer. Um, every single, you know, DNA test that I've done proves that. And I need to put a lot more work compared to someone who doesn't have those the same SNPs, right? Meaning that if I, you know, if I go drinking booze and eating gluten and going to sleep late and drinking coffee on a daily basis. I mean, I'm going to be an, an, an estrogenic rack, right? And for many years, I used to ask myself, like, why am I like this? Why is it so, you know, why is it, I go to Portugal and all these other women are doing that and they're okay. And here I am, I've got, you know, these lumps on my breast now and my period is from hell. And I can begin to feel like my thyroid is beginning to swell, right? And I'm like, why? Then ever since I found out why, you know, then it's, it's just easier to accept the fact that I just need to work a lot harder on my health. But the, the the bottom line is that you know initially for me it was a big thing was a fear thing it was very fear based because both sides of my family my dad's and my mom's side there are women who've been dying of estrogenic cancer my aunt just died two years ago from ovarian cancer my on my mother's side um, all my aunts have been having either breast issues or uterine cancers right and so it's rampant um, and we have a joke in our family that like there's no there's no woman in our family who is beyond 50, who still has a uterus, right? And so, you know, I'm almost 50, like as we were recording this, I'm just two months away from turning 50. And, you know, and and I plan to hold on to my uterus for way longer than that, yeah. right? You're gonna change, so anyway, the, change so the game. Going, change the game, exactly. So change, you know, and not letting the genes, I mean, genes are, is, 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 you know, it's something that you we can still control a lot of a lot of the time, like how they express, right? So anyway, the, so, you know, back to the breast issues, estrogen dominance is a big factor there that can be that can be addressed in some of the things that we already talked about. The other thing with breast health is lymphatic stagnation. So if you think about it, you know, everything from tonsils, which a lot of people had them removed as children, tonsils is like your lymphatic nodes 
that happen right here, right? And then you have everything down, including your armpits, your breasts are highly, highly lymphocytes. And so, you know, the lymphatic system, think of it this way. It's like a um, highway that these trucks basically evacuate all the trash out of the body, right? So when there is lymphatic stagnation happening, then it's, you know, not unusual for that, for us then to, like, like I said, you can't take off your rings, you can't put on your shoes, your breasts really swell up. What can we do? Well, we can start activating that lymphatic massage uh, by doing a lymphatic massage. Either, I mean, first of all, let's just admit that even by you moving, if you just like stand up and you just, you know, when you just like do this, even when you're like in line waiting for, you know, to check out at the supermarket, right? You know, it's just like bouncing. I mean, that itself it already starts moving the lymphatic system. But we can do something very specific for the breast as well. If you if you want, we can do a demo in just yeah, a second. Definitely. Yeah, so those um, on um, watching on the video can watch along. But I know you said you're going to try and talk people through. So it's if fine. they're just listening, it's they can. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And then, um, you know, and then the last thing about what, what I see with a lot of women with breast issues is really just the systemic inflammation, right? So you know, um, that's why it kind of goes back to the gut health is I see that a lot of women are very inflamed. Yes, stress can be a contributor. Yes, poor sleep can be a, a huge contributor, but gut health, ongoing gut health issues can also be a huge uh, factor in this. And when you are constantly inflamed, um, that really affects the breast as well. So if we address these three things, estrogen dominance, lymphatic um, stagnation and inflammation, right? just a lot of really marvel and marvelous things can happen just, not just to your breasts but you know suddenly you're like oh my god well, my weight is going down finally like my my cellulite on my legs is like you know is, is actually my my legs are toning up and I'm sleeping so much better my hair is healthier and you just like so many you know so many amazing things can um start happening let me ask you a quick question where do you want to be in six months time do you want to be more energized, feeling comfortable in your skin again, excited for life because you finally started to see improvements with your health? Or do you want to still be frustrated and depressed because you're still struggling with symptoms that are taking over your life and stopping you from living to the full? If you want the first option, you have to do something different. After all, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over again and expecting a different result. If you're currently DIYing your health, meaning trying to heal yourself through researching, trial and error, and wasting a lot of money and time in the process, then you could actually be sabotaging your results. Would you try and fix your car yourself if it was broke and you didn't know what was wrong with it? No. So why are you trying to do it all alone when it comes to your the most important thing that we have, which is your health? Trust me, actually asking for help and investing in yourself saves you time, money, and a lot of stress in the long run. I know you're probably not getting any answers or support from your doctor. I've been there too. But that's why I created my six-month root cause relief package. This one-to-one -one package offers the highest level of support and transformation because you'd be working closely with me to help identify and address the underlying root causes of your health issues. Even if you're already eating healthily, taking some supplements, there's so much more to healing, so don't feel like you've tried everything. Let me help you figure out what's causing your stubborn symptoms which support and support your body in healing naturally, which in case no one has ever told you, is completely possible. Check out my website, which is linked in the episode show notes for more info. 
and there's also a link there to book in a free 20 minute enrollment call so that we can chat further about your unique situation and goals and see if it would be a good fit for us to work together. If you've been looking for a sign, this is it. So yeah, we would love to follow along with the um, the technique massage. that you want to share, the, yeah. the breast massage. Um, and is this different to what you would do for a breast examination? Could they be done yes. at the same time? Yes. So like do a, a yeah. double, I mean, a, a double benefit? Massage. Yeah, yeah, you can use the massage for, um, for, you know, for detection as well. Actually, let me just talk about first, how do you, what can you use to massage your breasts, right? Mm -hmm. The... There's a couple of um, ways you can do this. You can do it while you're um, taking a shower. So you full, you're nicely wet. You've got, hopefully you're using some nice clean Castile soap, not something that contains all these phthalates and fake perfumes and stuff like that. Cause it's like really the last thing you want to put on your breast and massage your breast with. So nice clean soap um, and you all let it up. But you, but you can also do this with a cream or an oil infused with different herbs. And we can talk about the herbs in just a second. Um, <clears throat> that have specific affinity for breast health. And, you know, and so, but if you had like a nice cream, one of your favorite creams, it's something that you can do that uh, in the morning or you can do it at night. Um, hopefully you use a cream that absorbs pretty quickly so that you can, you know, wait for two, three minutes, put on your bra and start your day pretty quickly. So what we're going to do is, it's really pretty simple. Um, lift up your left arm. And if you're just listening to this, put it behind your head, to the back of your head, right? And so, this is where you're going to have like, you know, your breast in that sort of little, a little elevated position. Um, what's important to remember is where is your exit? Um, where do you want to point all that lymphatic direction, right? Um, or the massaging direction towards. So the exit point is right here. So I'm pointing is between my armpit and my neck, right? So that's the area that we kind of want to evacuate everything towards that point here. So what we're going to start is you want to start massaging your breasts from your nipple. And I'm pointing at the top of my nipple, like 12 o'clock, right? And then very gently, I'm just going to be, it, does, it doesn't have to be hard. Um, and, you know, using two or three fingers, using your palm, and then just basically massaging it out towards the exit sign. I'm then going to move towards two o'clock, right? So, and then do exactly the same thing. And then you move to four o'clock and moving the same way. Now, in terms of the pressure, <clears throat> think of it this way. You know, I'm sure everybody has seen um, honey tubes, right? That are sold like in coffee shops and stuff. Um, like a little, you know, tube with honey inside, right? Mm -hmm. In order to get the honey out, right? It's like, it's exactly the same kind of pressure you want to apply here. It's not too hard because then it just creates pain mm -hmm. in more stagnation. And, you know, when a bit of trauma in the breast, if you will. So you want to be gentle with your breast, but also firm enough to create a kind of movement. So now, now let's move on to three o'clock. And then we're just moving that again towards the exit. And then let's go to it six o'clock because that's the one that it can be a little tricky. You want to, from your nipple again, you want to press it down, right? Press your breast down and then going back up again to our exit sign, right? to Towards my neck, in between my neck and my armpit, right? And then I'm moving again you know, um, over to whatever time that is seven o'clock, you know, nine o'clock. And right? the, cause the, the camera can be flipped sometimes. So basically as you're going around the clock, it's towards your, um, your chest, your breastbone first. So that way round down right. and then back to like the side that your arms on and back up. Exactly. And then you just, you know, you lift up your other hand, put it behind your head and you just do the same mm -hmm. thing, uh, for your other breast. So Women really have... only takes like a few minutes. Exactly. Exactly. And you can do that. There's no, you know, 
um, you can't do too much of it. I mean, it's, you know, but I think doing that, um, like if you really have a lot of breast issues, doing that couple of days, couple of times a day can be really helpful until you find a relief. Um, there's a couple of, um, what you can do to make it even better, even more effective for the breast is to <clears throat> look out for oils or creams that are infused with some specific herbs. And so, um, the first one is, and I don't know whether you guys have that in the UK. Um, do you have poke, poke root? I've heard of it before. It I've never actively searched it. Okay. So that's yeah. like, so an, that's like kind of a, a herb that's infused in an oil. Yeah, so okay. exactly. So it is It is actually a very weedy, it's called poke weed because it's super weedy, it grows in the south of the United States. Um, south and no middle as well. Not actually, that's not. I was. I just came from the east coast, and they have poke root there too. Um, oh, okay. Poke is is actually well for those of you in the United States. It's like if you're from the south, you know poke salad. Um, but the leaves are actually poisonous unless they're cooked properly. So, but the root is what the magic is in American Western herbalism. Poke root infused oils is the magic of women who work with women's health. And so for nostalgia, so breast pain, for uterus pain, for PMS, for women who just had a surgery, who had, um, you know, uterine prolapse, right? Um, poke root is just absolutely magical. So if you can score one that is like infused by someone, or if you can find poke root yourself, buy it online and learn how to infuse an oil, which is really simple. There's hundreds of videos on YouTube on how to do that. That's one way to do it. Yeah, and I'm just Another, looking now, and, um, and we do have it accessible um, to us in the UK, so which is great. Oh, perfect, great! And I've just yeah. got I've just got the so, Elvis song in my head, Polk Saladani. That's all people can remember it by that. <laughs> That's funny. I'm a big Elvis fan, so um, I had to throw that one in there. And then you know, and then the so Polk is really that is. I mean, we you know, we have a product that contains Polk root, right? And the you know when we were testing every single ingredient with um a group of testers i mean just that itself created so much change and relief for women's pain it was just super magical it was incredible how how potent that um is you don't want to internally ingest it um mm -hmm. it is a slight poison but externally it's amazing um the other herb that you know we have found to be extremely helpful is st john's wort um and I believe that's in the UK too. Mm -hmm. You know, some people know St. John's Ward is like for uh, depression. Um, and so we are, the, the truth of the matter is that it is so anti-inflammatory even for the brain that it can have be, you know, be a happy, we call it the happy sunshine herb uh, because it really, I'm, you know, if you if you can check it internally and it's not conflicting with any um, of your medications, I mean, taking it internally, St. John's Ward just like really elevates your spirit. It just makes like the whole world is just sounds, you know, easier, is, is easier, right, to live in. Um, but when applied um, externally, it's an incredibly anti-inflammatory, uh, it's got in incredibly inflammatory properties. And so we found that to be also very, very helpful for massaging. The other one that, you, that women can do is almost everybody knows about evening primrose oil, right? And so that uh, the magical um, substance in there is called gamma linoleic acid gla so whether you're using primrose, evening primrose oil or borage oil doesn't really matter it's the same is the substance is the same just get the capsule open up the capsule depending on the size of the breast one or two capsules per breast right and just massage it into your breast 
and and again, you know, evening primrose oil is recommended for women with PMS, right? And and that's for a good reason, and it has like a real efficacy. But you can take it internally, but again, you can also apply it externally, and then the effect is like you know, one plus one equals five, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are just like some really simple uh, solution. One other thing I just want to add on to this is that when you're using any of these oils um, or creams infused with these herbs, you can also add like just a drop of ginger oil, a ginger essential oil, and just not, you know, with essential oils, less is more, right? So just to be really cautious of that. And the reason why I like ginger oil is because ginger is very warming, right? Like think of it this way. Like when you are all cold, your body is all like really tense, right? When you're warm, like in summer, right? We all very relaxed, like everything is flowing. For your body to really relax and experience a good lymphatic movement, you've got to be warm and and, um, and relaxed. And so ginger, what ginger does, ginger is a very uh, hot herb and is going to warm up the breasts uh, from the inside as well as it gets in um, and just really stimulating the lymphatic movement even more that's so great and i know in the u.s you have some products um that have those ingredients in so your products um is the brand happy sisters is that right yes so no the so the brand is well enough that's just our overarching um brand but the product name is happy sisters mm-hmm. yeah yeah we sell it in a box like this and so there is a cream that has all these oils that i talked about and more actually we also have a couple of other things um including, um, so it's got pokes, pokes and John Swartz, GLA. Um, it has ginger oil, but we're also using Nigella Sativa, which is in the Middle East, they call Nigella Sativa, you know, the oil that cures everything but death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the supplement is there to address more of the root cause. Um, and the root cause is basically, so we focus really a lot on this, um, on the supplement to address estrogen dominance. So we're using things like DIM, calcium deglucurate, um, and then <clears throat> we're using magnesium. Magnesium is amazing for breast health as well. Um, and then we use things like andrographis and yerba santa, both of them. Remember how I talked about the clean and dirty estrogens, how your liver can. And so these herbs help deliver to metabolize estrogens in a positive, in a clean direction and away from the dirty one. So you're basically producing more clean estrogens. Um, we also use herbs such as red root, which is, um, a a very gentle lymphagog, but powerful one. Lymphagog means that it moves the lymphatic system on the inside as well. Um, yeah, so those are, you know, some of the things that we just put together to really think this through, um, so that women who really experience a lot of pain can do something for the root cause of it so that it goes away. This is a 60 day supply. Um, so hopefully after two, two months, you don't have to take it anymore. Um, your body kind of will self-regulate right. and, um, and then, then, you know, then the cream is just to get like instant relief, especially yeah. for those women who are like constantly in pain. And that sounds amazing. Yeah. I'm sad that we don't have it accessible outside of the U S. Um, but that sounds great. Like I would definitely be on that if I was in the U S and had any issues and that's a sign of a good business in my opinion, who, they're not wanting you to take it forever. They're like, the same with my my consultations and clients. I don't want to be working with them forever. I want to like get them better and then send them on their way, which isn't technically like the typical business model that we're taught. But I think that's a sign of a good 
person, a good practitioner and a good ethic is like yeah. giving people what they need um, to not suffer any longer. So yeah, yeah. sounds like amazing ingredients yeah. in there. <clears throat> yeah, thank you. Um, and also the, the kit also comes with instructions on how to massage your breasts. So it's actually a little standy mm-hmm. that you can put in the bathroom nice. and, uh, and learn how to do that. And then it comes also with a booklet that just explains everything of like, I'm going to show you this one um because it's i with i'm thinking of making stickers out of this um so it's it just um oh, yeah. i'm showing yeah stickers would be great says, <laughs> yeah so for those of you who are listening i'm just showing inside the booklet that we have uh in an illustration of different kinds of boobs you know funny thing is nobody has perfect boobs mm-hmm. and so almost every woman has one bigger one smaller um you know nipples pointing in all directions up and down and all that kind of stuff so um we always say that we've made uh happy sisters for all sorts of sisters love that i love that you included that too and education is everything we want people to know like what they can do and actually feel empowered because when you have this long family history of estrogen dominance it can feel like you you have this death sentence pretty much where there's nothing that you can do but conditions are 90 to 95 percent environmental driven only five to ten percent genetic uh, when it comes to things like breast cancer, Alzheimer's, dementia, all sorts, we have Absolutely. a lot of a lot of things that we can do. And Vivian, I just want to mention one more thing that, you know, because I know this creates a lot of frustrations for people who are outside of the United States going like, oh, here we go again. You know, she's talking about something and we can't get it into into my country. Um, the, the thing is that, um, you know, what I would just encourage is look at that. You can go to the website um, and look at Happy Sisters, look at the ingredients that we use and try to put this together in your own country. You know, like just to give you an example, like is you can easily find that as a tincture. Um, you know, Red Root, you can find it as a tincture, right? Dim and Costume Duplicate is widely available, right? And so, you know, you might end up just buying a few um, pieces of supplements, but they will just give you the same results. <clears throat> you know, maybe not packaged as beautifully and easy as, as we have, but you can you can make do. And I've just been searching and Googling um, while we've been talking. And I found a nice um, couple of products online that I'm going to put in the show notes as well. So hopefully people can access those if they can't get um, yours in the US. Amazing. Um, I just want to ask your opinion on a few other things relating to breast health and the conversation that we're having today. Um, You mentioned a while ago about iodine as um, an important nutrient. Like, What are your thoughts on iodine and even supplementing with it? Um, applying it topically because it's a very controversial nutrient in the yeah. health world some people are very against it and they say that it can be quite dangerous and to avoid completely unless you want to trigger autoimmune disease autoimmune thyroid issues yeah. other people are like it's the holy grail like it's so important especially for breast health you want to rub it all over your body every day take it internally eat tons of um yeah. seafood so where do you stand yeah. So, you know, like with a lot of things, um, there is reasons why there is two sides of the camp and I'm probably uh, middle of the road um, and and with exceptions. So <clears throat> my take on iodine is this. Um, first of all, let's acknowledge that the fact that iodine, the the largest number of receptors in the body for iodine in women is our brain, breast, thyroid and our ovaries. Right. So when you start taking um, iodine, that's why a lot of people be like, oh my God, all my brain fog is gone. I'm like sharp as a tack now. And my breasts are finally not hurting and the, the list goes on. Um, and so, you know, it all depends on um, 
how deficient the person is, I do believe that there is a time and a place for replenishing iodine and then backing off. The problem starts when people overdose on iodine. And I have seen this before because my my first when I first started doing this work, I was focusing on Hashimoto's and thyroid diseases because that was my you know big part of my history, my story. Um, and you know I I worked with a number of clients who were given iodine by their practitioners and developed what's called thyroid storm and ended up at a hospital. So there is definitely such a thing as too good of um, too much of a good thing. Um, iodine is furthermore really counterindicated for people with Hashimoto's disease. There is a number of studies that show that the Hashimoto's antibodies can really go up. Um, and so one thing, you know, if, if somebody is really wanting to try um, iodine and has ruled out any other options, then it would be really good to measure your H um, TPO antibodies for Hashimoto's and see how high they are. And even at below 50, then under a supervision of a very responsible and knowledgeable uh, practitioner, not DIYing that. That's that's the other thing I want to just say. Iodine will be one of those substances that I, I think actually should be controlled. You know, in the U.S., like the FDA when start, starts controlling NAC, right? I mean, it's just like, really, people? What about iodine? That does a lot more damage mm. to people, you know, than... So I'm just... Um, I feel like there's a time and place for iodine, but it's also, it can really hurt people. I have also seen women who have been overdosing on iodine and developing hyperthyroidism, right? So, you know, including Graves disease and like the person I mentioned, like the client that I had when I was in private practice, you know, she ended up in a hospital with a thyroid storm after slathering herself with iodine everywhere, right? So um, replenish, there's tests for iodine, um, the urine test is, it's called the iodine loading test. That's a really good one to do and see where you are, correct that, and then go into a maintenance mode with your iodine and not be overdosing that every day. Yeah, I agree. I'm somewhere in the middle. I've looked at both sides and I've personally tried it, but I tried it definitely too soon in my healing journey because I had so many other problems and I just read a book about mm -hmm. iodine, thought everything was due to that, not knowing that I had issues with mold exposure and like severe leaky gut and histamine issues and uh, severely nutrient deficient. I had really low calcium um, and iodine, when you take that too high, it can actually drop your calcium levels making it worse. So I didn't have like a severe reaction like the person that you know, but um, yeah, we definitely don't want to blame everything on iodine. It's an important mineral um, and it could be linked to the breast symptoms that you're having, but be really careful and go slowly. Um, Next thing I want to ask about is your thoughts on bras. So there's obviously different types, wired versus unwired. Um, what are your thoughts on them? Because I'm thinking in terms of lymphatic system, especially if it's yeah. not well-fitted one or it's really tight, then that can block the lymphatic flow. Um, so just wondering if you um, yeah. personally recommend I, them I mean, or if there's any different brands that you would suggest. I don't have any particular brands, but let's, you know, like podcasts like yours, are, like you have listeners from around the world. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of hard to specific uh, point out to a bra, a brand bra, but um, no, absolutely. I mean, you already alluded to that. I'm not a fan of, um, I, I think women should not be wearing wired bras. I mean, this is really, so let me just show this. I mean, wire, wire bra really cuts into, this is the part here that cuts off, um, you know, so remember we talked about the lymphatic system being like a highway of evacuating trash, right, of your of your body. So you're basically putting a blockage right here, right? Um, and so that's that's just bad news all around. Um, the other thing is, 
so definitely a brass without wires um you know brass that the, the other uh, the, the the thing that you kind of alluded to is that a lot of women are have misfitted brass so for example you you might have a bra that doesn't have a wire but it's still too tight here. And so there are specific, especially for women who have larger breasts and there is a lot more pressure on them, you know, on holding, holding the breasts in place. Um, there are, you know, there are more and more outfitters. Um, they do bra fittings and I highly recommend to, and they consider lymphatic movement and freeing the lymphatic system, but also like the pain in the back and all that kind of stuff that happens with women with larger breasts. Uh, they actually do fitting, but also they do recommendations of different types of brass, whether it's for sports or for daily use. Um, I highly recommend that because um, I had a um, I had a friend who has has done a fitting like that. She was actually in London, and um, and she said that the woman at the shop said that about eighty percent of women are wearing the wrong brass for their for their size and type yeah, of you know of body. It's yeah and it's, it's all right for someone like me with small boobs like I could easily get away with not wearing a bra but there's going to be people listening yeah. they're like there's no way I have to wear something <laughs> yeah for so, sure yeah, there are options yeah. just make sure that it's not wired um I mean I've even been hearing about the impacts of EMF and radiation and how if you've got this metal yeah. on your body you're potentially like an antenna for these um these frequencies in the in the earth which we yeah. want to avoid um, I was going to ask your thoughts on thermographs versus mammograms for detection of any like stagnation, yeah. any like cancer cells or any potential um, cancers. Yeah, I'm a big. Um, so first of all, let me just say that I am. Um, I think it's really important to distinguish that it's not the, these two are not these two technologies are not interchangeable, meaning. A thermogram has a different purpose than a mammogram does. Okay, so let's just just distinguish that first, because it's like these wars going on between, oh, should I get diagnosed with a thermogram or a mammogram? So, um, first, so so thermography. The way I see this is that thermography is something that you should do yearly. It's super safe, right? And it's just um, photography. The it shows you the changes in the breast way way earlier before they become a problem, right? And so a lot of times women who, you know, cancer doesn't show up just like that. Cancer is a years of DNA damage and um, vascular changes in the breast that happen way, way before that. So if you get this done, you know, on a yearly basis, then you start seeing changes physiologically what happens in your breast way before it becomes a problem. Um, the tricky thing with thermography is to make sure you're getting it done in a really high um, high quality place that specializes in thermography. It's not a place that does Botox and the thermography, low, low resolution people who are kind of like just, you know, adding that as a service to the whole um, in the clinic in a lot of times it's a spa too. I mean, those are really rubbish. Uh, what you want to find is a thermography center who, you know, from the time you look at their website, it's like they're all about breast health. They, they specialize in that. They are able to provide um dietary advice they are and, and a couple of things to look out for so first of all ask them whether they're using um high resolution uh cameras right uh that's the first thing second thing is you want to ask them if they do contrast with black and white as well the black and white is actually very telling um let me give you an example there was for instance like when i was um when i got my training on thermography uh the doctor was showing a woman who just had a coffee 
And in her thermography, in the black and white, she literally looked like a panther. She had like these spots. She was so estrogenic. So these panther spots show estrogen dominance. And then he waited for about half an hour for the coffee to get metabolized and excreted by the body. And then he took the photo again. And it was practically like 80% of the spots were gone. Oh. Um, so high quality, you know, uh, thermogram will do that. You also want to want to find out if they are part of like, um, thermography association in America, there isn't this thermography association as a regulate regulatory body. I mean, those people are really serious and, and that way, you know, that you're getting a credible thermogram because otherwise you're getting a false negative, right? Meaning like, oh, my boobs are great, but then the technology wasn't used properly. Um, the person doesn't know what he or she is doing. Right. And so, uh, you also want to like, you know, another, another pointer is make sure that when you get into a room, it's a very cold room. Like, I don't know what it is in centigrade, but like in Fahrenheit, it's about like 65 or so. And, and it's, you're in that room for like about 20 minutes or so to really cool down the body. Right. So anyway, so I'm a big fan of thermography because it really just shows you a lot of stuff that you can act on really quickly. Um, but also like if you, you know, if you do a baseline thermogram and then you do it six months later because you've changed your diet, you started adding all these herbs that we talked about, you begin to massage your breast, right? And, you know, when you get off gluten and you're just feeling so much better, right? And you're paying more attention to things. Um, and then it's, it's kind of nice to see six months later just to see the, your work, you know, like how your body has responded. It's like, oh, I don't have these red spots anymore. You know, I don't have those yellow um, spots anymore, right? Like everything is a lot more even and, and wonderful mammograms, you know, um, it's, I mean, as much as they are positioned as prevention to me, they are not prevention. A mammogram is typically when you already have a lump and, and you have a problem, you go in there, it's, it's going to show you that there is a problem, right? And it's tell you what, how severe the problem is. The issue with that though, is that all these changes years before that, that happens, all that inflammation in the breast, right? All the physiological changes that happen in the soft tissue, they don't show up in a mammogram. So to me, that's not really prevention. However, if I have found a, a lump on my breast, or if I have a history of breast cancers in a family, right? Would I do a mammogram after I turn 45 or 50? Probably yes, right? Um, so, you know, I think there's a time and place for both of them. Right, yeah, it's good to know, because I think people just like, cross them over and think that the thermograph is just a more natural version but we want to be open still to some conventional treatments even like even I'm not completely against scans and all sorts of things but we want to be somewhere in the middle and just weigh up the pros and cons of both and be proactive instead of reactive like you've been preaching and like I preach to everyone as well yeah. amazing um, and last thing that I want to get your thoughts on um for breast health is impacts of caffeine and alcohol is, are they complete mm. no-nos um at least while we're trying to heal or is there some moderation is the the thing with the quality or the type of caffeine and alcohol that we're consuming yeah that's a really good question so um the unfortunate thing is it depends um the answer is and i think every every woman just has to try it on herself and figure out uh how ca caffeine a coffee specifically, I want to just say, um, an alcohol infector. So let's talk about coffee first, because that's a really interesting one. You know, the question is, is it overall caffeine that is the problem or is it coffee, right? And I have found is that the larger problem is coffee in itself. 
um, is not just the caffeine in coffee, but there is something else in a coffee and I'm forgetting the name of it, um, but a specific oil that's highly inflammatory for some women, um, you know, also it's good to remember that we are genetically, some of us are slow metabolizers of um, caffeine metabolizers and there's specific snip for that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a very slow one. If I have a, anything caffeinated after 12 PM, I'm pretty much going to be, my sleep is going to be toast. Um, so you need to know yourself how it affects you. I will say Vivian in, in our community, <clears throat> excuse me, I have seen women who got off coffee and, and substituted um, that with other sources of caffeine, like um, green tea, matcha tea, black tea, white tea, right? And so that the caffeine element is not taken away because a lot of women don't want to go through caffeine withdrawals or they do need to feel like they need the stimulation. Um, and I have seen women say that just by changing the caffeine source, their hot flashes have gone away, they're sleeping way better, their breast health has improved tremendously. Um, so, you know, coffee is also acidic. I mean, that's another, you know, dimension that we, um, didn't really talk much about here, but, you know, I'm a big fan of acid, uh, alkalizing the body, right. And I've done tests on myself when I have a coffee and I'll pee on this, you know, on the litmus paper, uh, 20 minutes later. And I'm like super acidic. I'm like 5.3. I'm like, what the heck, man, this is really bad. Right. And then, and then my, you know, and then it com comes back later, <clears throat> to to a healthier level soon after that alcohol you know is the same story is uh, there are some of us who are just not metabolizing alcohol very well and we're going to be a lot more predisposition towards um alcohol i mean the the destruction it can do to your microbiome is tremendously it's tremendous um it does create a poor microflora so the diversity of my, your microflora gets diminished with alcohol there are specific studies on women having a lot more breast cancer incidences who drink more than three drinks a week. Right. And so, you know, for that reason, I, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of moderation um, because having, you know, let's also admit the fact that alcohol was invented in the first place for ceremonies to bond, to be present, to have like some kind of a higher awareness to God, you know, whatever, whatever the higher thing was to bond and connect with the community, right? I mean, that's what alcohol was originally traditionally used before it got out of, I mean, same as tobacco, right? For that matter, um, until it got out of hand. And so I, I think there is a time and place for a glass of wine, you know? But we also have to acknowledge that um, every person, I think every woman has to find her sweet spot. Meaning, um, you know, one of the things I see with alcohol, apart from all the things we mentioned, makes estrogen dominance worse, destroys your gut health, microbiome diversity. But also you know, for a lot of women, it kills your sleep, um, you know, and so um, especially women 45 and above, we became become a lot more sensitive to alcohol as compared to, you know, when we went to college and university and you're just like knocking back all these drinks, right? And, you know, next morning you wake up, you go to class and it's like, oh, yeah, I might need an extra coffee, but that's about that, right? Now try to do that, like, you know, do five tequila shots and you're going to like, you're not going to get up the next morning, right? When you're, when you're in your forties and fifties. So, you know, so the, um, it can really destroy the sleep for, for women. And so the question is, you need to find your sweet spot. Like for me, it would be not drinking after 3 PM. So during the day, I don't drink it's on weekends. If I have something at lunchtime, I tip, I try my cutoff point is three o'clock because otherwise um, I'm not wearing my aura ring, but I, I wear my aura ring to for sleep just to see the quality Got of mine on. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> mine is charging. <laughs> uh, 
um you know and it just shows me like it completely destroys my deep sleep i get like almost no deep sleep when when i drink um in the evenings right so i think every woman has to um find that out but it's um i would say that you know for really healthy hormones doing no more than three drinks a week is probably a, a good spot for you to be in and i would say like if you've got if you're trying all the things and but you're still holding on to that two cups of coffee you're still having a bottle of wine at the weekend like just see how you get on for a month and just it is something that's under your control at the end of the day um it maybe doesn't have to be forever but if you're really struggling with breast pain or you're concerned about your cancer risk then we we can't control some things in life like our exposure to environmental estrogens or stress and pollution that can increase the risk of breast issues and estrogen dominance but we can control like what we're feeding ourselves what we're drinking and yeah some people just need to get through that first 30 days and break the habit and then they realize oh I actually don't need this and it's ironic what you said that alcohol is used to like be more social because people are using it now to like numb out and just like they sit in their house like on their own and like hide away from everyone um so they don't feel their emotions so it's yeah I mean that's when when, you know traditional that's when traditional uses of a substance right just get abused, you know, and get out of control. I mean, it's the same thing with tobacco. I mean, you know, in in Native Americans were using tobacco in ceremonies. That was the, and then, you know, we started abusing that and using father. And then, you know, now a lot of people smoke on the, just in hiding, right? And, mm. um, you know, so totally same as with alcohol, but it doesn't have to be that way. Exactly. And all the additional ingredients they put into cigarettes now and how much it's like, oh marketed and how much like pesticides and heavy metals are in there um it can be the same with alcohol and coffees not what it used to be and how it used to be consumed we're now having all these syrups and sweeteners in there as well that just make it way more inflammatory um than it, it maybe used to be so yeah i think we covered like the main takeaways of breast health um i'm still going to plug your book um because i think it's an amazing resource so this is overcoming estrogen dominance i'm pretty sure that it's called released um maybe was it a couple of years ago now one or two years exactly yeah Yeah, so you have a whole book on estrogen dominance um you touch on breast health in there as well um and now you've got the product line coming out which i'm really excited um for you to launch um and help people with because i think um more people are having issues with the hormones more than ever um even especially the past few years with all the stress um of lockdowns and everything so we we want to give people actionable tips education and products mm-hmm. that can help them address the root cause so i'm really happy that you're doing that but before i let you go i want to ask you three questions so the first one is okay. what's something that you do daily to stay in hormonal harmony i really chair and, and i really protect my sleep mm-hmm. uh, that's like um yeah and if we want to we want good hormones and to reduce our cancer risk they've even done studies haven't they showing that um, nurses who work night shifts have a higher increased rate of um, breast cancer because they don't get that protection from melatonin which isn't just a sleep hormone it's a a key antioxidant in the body yeah yeah and And the same with my melatonin is not the same so that's exactly clarify that yeah good point um yeah and and you know in order to it's kind of simplistic, right? Just say like, I really want to protect my sleep. And so like, I'll go to sleep at nine o'clock, I get up at 530. Um, but there's a lot, you know, that goes a lot into figuring out what is like for me, what it was to have really good, good quality sleep. And that was, that's, for example, having early dinner, having a light meal at night, 
um, no alcohol, uh, no caffeine after, you know, noon or 2 p.m. is probably the latest, right? Um, exercising during the day, movement, right? So there's just a lot of things that go into that, into having really good, high quality sleep. Uh, but I'm very protective over that because it just, it really can either make or break my day, you know? And the aura ring has allowed me to figure that out as well because you can really, like, at first I was like really obsessive with it. I was like, what can I do? These little biohacks throughout the day. Um, whereas now I've got my key things that I know make a huge difference for me. It's having like a warm drink before bed, um, having a cool room, um, reading before bed instead of watching TV. They make mm-hmm. the biggest difference for me and things like exercise as well. So I'm yeah. very much into sleep also. Um, uh, what's your favorite product at the moment? So it could be health related, non-health related, a gadget, a makeup product, anything that you want to share? Uh, you know, I think, I think the aura ring has been mm-hmm. probably making the, the most profound difference. Um, and then I just got some dumbbells and the stand, a rack for my dumbbells. And so, and I've joined a dumbbell program um, online that I'm really excited about. It's going to be life. So I'm kind of mm-hmm. switching from, you know, um, I, I just don't want to drive. I, I live up high in the mountains in Colorado. And so in winter, driving down to town often can just mean more exposure um, of accidents, which are very common on the roads yeah. here. And so I would rather do something at home. And um, so just doing dumbbells, especially, you know, uh, straight training, um, weightlifting for women after 45 is just like the best form of exercise. Yeah. And so I feel amazing. I feel way better than doing cardio. Um, so now I've just got like my own little gym set up right there. Amazing. So that's your 2023 focus is strength training, building that's- muscle and supporting your hormones in the process. Love that. Yes. And is there just one takeaway message from today's conversation that you want to leave the listeners with? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I think I'll say, listen to your sisters. Um, your sisters are telling you that they might need your help. And sometimes it's an early in the game and you're like, hey, we are struggling, you know, and it's still time to make those changes. Uh, but I'll just say, don't ignore those symptoms. You know, they're, your sisters are telling you something that they need help and do it sooner than later. Yeah, listen to your body when it's whispering. But, uh, otherwise, it'll start screaming at you. And sometimes it's like yeah, a little bit too one. late, unfortunately. So yeah, Yeah. love your messaging. And again, I will link to your book, your products in the uh, resources below of the podcast. And thank you for coming on again for a part two. I'm sure that you'll come up with some more amazing products in the future and continue working in the women's health field. So I will probably have you on again in the future. Thanks so much, Vivian. Thank you. And thank you for creating awareness about breast health. I think this is so underestimated, you know, what women can really do. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, I would love for you to leave me a rating and review on your podcast app, as this helps to support the show and it allows it to reach more people with this valuable information. Come and say hi over on Instagram. I'm at Viva Natural Health. And if you haven't already, check out my website, vivanaturalhealth.co.uk for tons more free resources and to discover how I could support you further. I currently offer one-on-one consultation packages if you want my top level support, then more affordable group programs and self-paced online courses. So there really is something for everyone. If you're ready to change and get some answers but aren't sure which option would be best, take that first step today and apply for a free enrollment call on my website and we'll discuss the best steps for you to take in order to achieve hormonal harmony. 
enjoy the rest of your day and I'll see you back here next week for another episode.